Hey guys, before we get into the show today, we wanted to take a moment and address the shooting that happened at Robb Elementary in Texas this week. We believe that there should be action taken and the best way that you can help is by calling your state senators and demanding the action that you want to see. We would suggest advocating for better access to mental health, getting rid of that stigma of receiving help, as well as pushing for common sense, modern era gun reform that responsible gun owners are already advocating for. Haley and I believe that everyone who has a platform, however small, should be working to encourage change. We will be sharing resources today on our Instagram stories, and we'll save it as a highlight so it can be found later. And now, back to the show. Welcome to More Than Myths. You can't hear me? I'm kidding. Not funny. (laughs) Not funny, but funny. Also, hi guys, welcome to More Than Myths. Welcome to More Than Myths. We are Haley and Corinne. (laughs) I introduced you first. Not myself, but you know, I'm Corinne. And that's Haley. (laughs) I'm Haley. (laughs) Just in case you guys didn't know. Whoa. Like really just in case you're new around here welcome just in, yeah um every week we do our own research and study a topic that intrigues us that has something to do with the supernatural unknown ancient stories of the world really whatever we feel like researching and then yeah. we blow each other's minds with new information yeah we do every week every sunday we have a new episode that comes up did you say that uh, no, I didn't, but now oh. they know. Well, there we go. So thanks for being here, guys. Yeah, thank you. Um, hi. Hello, how are you? I'm good. I got to see you twice last weekend. Yeah, there was much snuggling. Oh, so much forced cuddle time. <laughs> it was great. I text Haley the next day. I was like, I made you snuggle me so much. I'm so sorry. And she's like, <laughs> what? Why? I was like, you're not a snuggler. She's right. like, well, I'll snuggle you. That's that's right. what she said. That was about that's about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was really great. We got to go to Barnes and Noble together. Yeah, hopefully you saw our excellent reel. Oh yeah, it was so fun. <laughs> it was, it was so a lot fun. of fun, actually. Yeah, the giggles. Oh, many, yeah. many a time. I was like. The speed editing that too i probably could have been a little <laughs> bit more careful but i was just like i got it was, this it was perfect the way it came out i'm doing it doing it doing the thing i have a story to tell you oh perfect and i almost called you last night when it happened to tell you said story <laughs> <laughs> but i decided that this was one for the history books oh boy so it needed to be immortalized <laughs> in this podcast. So we're standing out on our back patio last night. And right behind us, it's like a hill. And then they're building a house right there on top of the hill. So probably, I don't know, 20 feet away from us is where this hill levels off. And they're building a house. So like when there's people in this place, they're going to be right up in your business they're gonna see everything on the back side of our house it's fine it's fine but there were some construction workers 
working on the top floor of that house. And so it's like, you know, probably two or three stories above where we're at. Okay. You know, or maybe even four stories above from where we're at. So they're high up there looking down at us. And I was just sitting there talking. (laughs) One of the guys throws a bucket of water out and it just like, it just goes right next to the house, you know? And then he does it again. And my stupid brain was like, oh my God. (laughs) And like covered my eyes like he had hit us (laughs) with the water. Even though we were like totally far enough away that that's not how that would have happened. (laughs) And I said it so loud and I was totally messing with them. But I was like, what the fuck possessed you to fuck with this poor guy who was just doing his job? <laughs> and so I immediately bust up laughing and he's like, oh my God, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm sorry. It was just too good of an opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> and then Josh is like, you embarrassed yourself just oh now, didn't gosh. you? And I was like, yeah, I want to die, bit. but it was completely <laughs> worth it. <laughs> That's amazing. So, so they're like cry laughing, and then I yeah. decided to go inside the house and never show my face again. <laughs> <laughs> but like, what possessed you to pick on this person you this don't one know? One particular person. That like, is hilarious. It was so dumb. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that is ridiculous. The best. So, yeah, I wanted to tell you immediately when it happened, but I was like, no, I'm going to just save that one. Yeah, that's a good one. That save it. One. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, I don't All right. Any, I don't have any stories to tell you. Well, I mean, this story, but. You have you have stories to tell me. I'm going to do. But go. I'm ready. Are you ready? I am ready. Okie dokie. Um. We've got a bit to cover today. Wow, this felt like a lot more last night when I was done typing. Anyway, (laughs) that's fine. That's fine. Um, Today we're talking about apples. Are they bad? (laughs) (laughs) Are they bad? So, first we're going to... I don't know why I'm finding myself so funny tonight. Um, Because you're hilarious. So first, we're going to start off with a few like idioms of apples. Um, So we've heard like apple of my eye. How do you like them? Apples. Uh, Bad apple spoils the whole bunch. You know, we saw that come up a lot with like the Black Lives Matter movement. So I did just want to bring that up because I'm calling it out. And then we also have like an apple a day keeps the doctor away. So there's all these sayings, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where we're starting in our apple exploration this fine evening. The first myth we're diving into is actually the last phrase I said, which is an apple a day keeps the doctor away. (laughs) And I always wondered where it came from. And I had someone in high school tell me that it actually meant it was meant to be like to keep the dentist away because apples and crunching your Teeth is healthy, you know. Okay. I couldn't find anything that said that. (laughs) I was probably lied to, but, you know, who knows? 
Um, so this phrase actually originated in 1913 and is based on a Brookshire proverb from Ooh. 1866. Um, and the saying with that was actually, eat an apple on going to bed and you'll keep the doctor from earning his bread. Oh, oh. So they were like, well, we can make this shorter and much catchier. Yeah. Um, so while <laughs> apples are full of vitamins and antioxidants and they've been shown to support heart health uh, and provide cancer-fighting compounds and support overall health, health, um, there's been a ton of research and they found that eating one apple every day will probably not make a huge difference in your life <laughs> or doctor visits. However, the excess of fiber may increase your bloating, gas, and trips to the restroom. <laughs> so, there you go. That's my first mini myth out of the way about apples. Um, so, now we're going to dive into three classic tales that all give apples a bad rap. Ready. Ready? Mm-hmm. The first story that we are going to discuss today is the golden apple of discord. Ooh. Um, so we have not gotten into Troy yet. I was going to say, this sounds like it's perhaps a Greek associated with... Trojan. Yeah, the Trojan War. Okay. It's like, so the reading I was doing on it was like, this apple is the cause of the Trojan War. Mm. And I'll explain why. Um, so... This story takes place before the Trojan War and pretty much led to the great city's demise. Uh, Paris, who was born to King Priam and Queen Hecuba of Troy, was cast away because of his mother had a premonition that he would be the cause of the fall of the city of Troy. His parents, being unable to kill the sweet, innocent baby, um, ask one of their attendants to do it. So the attendant takes him out to the, the mountains um, and decides to just leave him. He's just going to leave him in the woods because there, an animal will get him or he won't need to bloody his hands or kill this cute, sweet, innocent child. And so he's like, no, I'll just leave you here. And I'll come just make sure that the job is done. And he comes back a few days later and the baby is healthy and fine. Oh. Um, and so the attendant takes this as a sign and decides that he's going to keep Paris for himself and raise him in his own home um, so he can grow up and live freely. And no one needs to know the difference mm -hmm. that he lived. Um, he took the fact that Paris was fine as an infant. He took that as a sign from the gods as well. So he felt that he was chosen by the gods to live. So he felt compelled to make sure he stayed yeah. alive. Mm -hmm. Um so then we're going to hop up, just quick little jump up to Mount Olympus. <laughs> um, they're having a huge party and wedding feast. And they invite everyone. It's the talk of the town. Nobody is left off the guest list except the goddess Eris. And Eris is actually the goddess of discord. Um, in one of the YouTube videos I was watching, she's like, he was like, She's the party pooper. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, she was not invited because every time she comes, something goes awry or she ruins yeah. the party. So they're like, no, you're not coming. And so she's wholly offended. Yeah. Like, how very dare you? 
think that I'm going to ruin this party. So she ends up ruining the party. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she actually sneaks in and oh, disrupts the whole thing. Like sumo. <laughs> like sumo. Um, and leaves one golden apple on the table. And the apple is inscribed with Calisti, which in, so it's Greek. And then in English, it translates to the fairest or to the most beautiful. Okay. So it's like a gift for the fairest person. Okay. Um, three goddesses immediately reach for it, thinking that they are the deserving recipient of said apple. Okay. Um, so Athena, the goddess of war and crafts. And crafts. And wisdom. Are done, anyone? Yeah, right? Macaroni necklace. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Hera, the goddess of marriage and something else, which I can't remember, and Aphrodite, the goddess of love. These three goddesses are – the party's ruined because yeah. they are all adamant that they are the recipient of that apple. It says to the fairest, I am the person that this belongs to. And they're asking the other gods to weigh in. And Zeus is like, no, no ma'ams. I don't think so. No, thank you. Not going to, like, he's not going to tell Hera she's not the most, the, the fairest, right? Like, that'll Once. cause its own thing. Yeah. Um. So Paris, ah, he was important. Um. Because the gods favored his beauty, he was to actually judge who was the fairest of the three goddesses. So they all knew of this beautiful shepherd boy that lived on the side of the mountains and they decided to call him up and figure out, you know, who's the, who's the fairest tell mm -hmm. us because you are so sweet and innocent and you could, and there was a reason that he was named like the judge, but I can't remember and I mm. couldn't quite find it. He gets up to Olympus and each of them offer tempting brides bribes not brides <laughs> um so athena was said said she would give him a strong military to command and wisdom that would last forever oh yeah okay. uh, hera said he she would make him king of all people whoa so he was going to be like the ruler of all humans like not just king of troy right like everybody Everyone. yep and Aphrodite, who was last, said she would let him give him the most beautiful wife. There we go. Okay. And he just needed to name who he thought the most beautiful woman was. And oh, man. She would make it happen. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> Foreshadowing much? Yeah. Um, Paris was not interested in any but Aphrodite's offer. Mm-hmm. He literally heard the most beautiful wife and mm -hmm. he knew exactly who he was picking. He it like thought bubble over his head picture of Helen, wife yeah. of Menelaus, king of Sparta. Mm -hmm. That was who he desired. Um, so Aphrodite was awarded the golden apple. So after this happens, where I'm not going to go into all this because then you start getting into Troy, yes. but um, <laughs> it's eventually discovered that Paris is, he's like in a boxing match, I believe, and it's discovered and he beats out all of his brothers. 
Oh. So it's a boxing match against the princes of Troy. Mm-hmm. And Paris wins out on all oh of them. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so then it's discovered that Paris is actually alive. He's welcomed back with open arms. Yeah. And then we get this whole, you know. What happens? Trojan War. Yeah. So that is the golden apple of Discord. Okay. Which I really love that the apple says to the fairest. Uh-huh. Like it might as well say to the fairest of them all. Might as well say it. Might as well. You know? The mm-hmm. story is much older. So mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. Um, so now we're gonna talk about a forbidden fruit. <gasps> While there are many fruit that this could be, for the sake of this episode, we're going to call it an apple. (laughs) (laughs) However, um, it's believed that the apple is depicted most often because of a mistranslation of the word of a word in Latin. And it was M-A-L-U-M. So malum, which is translated to evil. But the same spelling, but with a different accent over the A, is translated to apple. So it's that's why it's depicted in a lot of um, biblical tales Mm -hmm. in Western cultures. It's depicted as an apple. So, but I read that it it literally could have been any fruit because it doesn't actually say anywhere in the Bible what fruit it was. Yeah. So. That's what we're talking about is our biblical origin of some of the first humans. Uh, Biblical tale of creation from the first humans. Wow. That's what I wrote. (laughs) I love when I'm on the same page as me. And I said, and the one little apple that changed it all. So Adam and Eve are living in the Garden of Eden, which is said to be paradise. They have nothing to do but to follow God's one request. They literally no jobs, no anything. Everything they need they just is hang there. Out. They're just like living it up. Yeah. <sighs> Naked in the moss with your lover. Yeah. <sighs> just sounds unlimited great. fruits except for one. For one fun. fruit from one tree and it's the tree of wisdom and God asks them, "Please do not eat from the tree of wisdom. They're not for you." Those are for me. Um, <laughs> and they could eat anything else they wanted. One day, Eve got curious. I'm assuming she got bored. <laughs> like, because you can only be You can relaxed only around and so much. complacent for so long. Mm-hmm. Which is like, honestly, what I was reading about this. I, I've never done any kind of Bible study or anything like that. Um, it was kind of the whole point. Is that men were always going, no matter what happened, mm-hmm. that they, they were set up for failure because, you know, humans. We're curious. Curiosity. Curiosity. So one day Eve got curious and went close to the tree of wisdom and started to grow more and more interested. Then a serpent arrived at her side and said, and I'm going to say it, the quote from Genesis 3, 4 through 5. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) 
surely going straight to hell. Yeah, that one <laughs> seems a little on the nose, even for me. Um, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as the gods, knowing all good and evil. So he knows that they're going to learn the ways of the world and everything good and bad, and it's going to change who they are as people. They're no right. longer ignorant of mm -hmm. the the bliss that they're in, essentially, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and with that, she caved into her desire for the wisdom and ate the uh, fruit from the tree. And then she convinced Adam to join her in her explore, exploration of knowledge. Um, God displeased, cast them out of the Garden of Eden, and then they go down their journey and path to have babies, I think. I don't remember. They have sons. Cain and Abel. Mm -hmm. The phrase or term Adam's apple is used the, mostly for males pr with a prominent thyroid cartilage, indicating that the apple got stuck in Adam's throat while swallowing it. Yep. So... Fun apple fact. Fun apple fact. And then my last apple tale. I have the story of Little Snow White by Jacob and Willem Grimm. You ready? I'm I am going so to ready. do an abridged version of this, but this is um, public, right? <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I'm going to do the voices. And I was like, thank you, God. <laughs> oh, like, are we going there? I'll do it. <laughs> No, no, I am not prepared for that. <laughs> You're getting me all nervous. Sorry. Okay. One day a queen was sitting at her window sewing and she was pregnant with her child and it was snowing heavily outside. Their castle was covered in all sorts of white, um, gorgeous, fluffy snow. And while she was sewing, she pricked her finger and the blood spilt onto the snow and she had this vision of a baby with snow white skin red red lips and ebony hair and she gave birth to this baby and mm -hmm. ended up calling her snow white um and then the nickname they had for her was little snow white the queen however died in childbirth oh. a year later the king took another wife she was a beautiful woman gorgeous but she was very proud and arrogant and could not stand if anyone would surpass her in beauty and she had a magic mirror which every morning she greeted and she said mirror mirror on the wall who is the fairest of them all that's actually not the right words it says mirror mirror on the wall who in the land is fairest of all and the mirror would answer you my queen are fairest of all she was satisfied and knew that the mirror spoke the truth. Um, however, Snow White started to grow up and became more and more beautiful. When she was seven years old, she was beautiful as the light of day and even more beautiful than the queen herself. <gasps> One day when the queen asked the mirror, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest, who in this land is fairest of them all? It answered, you, my queen, are fair, it is true, but Snow White is a thousand times fairer <gasps> than you. A thousand? A thousand. Wow. That mirror is crazy. Side note, it never indicates that time passes between Snow White being seven and the rest of the story. So it reads that she's seven years seven. old this whole yeah. time, and it bugs the fuck out of me. Yeah. 
So I just want to put that. We're going to pretend that she grows up to a nice, healthy age of 25. Perfect. 25-year-old Snow White coming in. Gorgeous. Excellent. But yeah. Anyway, the queen took fright and turned yellow and green with envy. Um, And from that hour on, whenever she looked at Snow White, her heart turned over inside of her body. And it was a great hatred for this girl. Um, The envy and pride grew greater and greater like a weed in her heart until she had no peace during the day and night. Then she summoned the huntsman. Take Snow White into the woods. I want to never see her again. Kill her, and as proof, bring me her lungs and her liver. Yeah. Again, never clarifying that this isn't a seven-year-old. <laughs> I'm just like, what the hell? Um, the huntsman obeyed and took Snow White into the woods, and he took out his hunting knife and went to stab it into her innocent heart when she began crying. Oh, dear huntsman, let me live. I will run into the woods and never come back. Because she was so beautiful, the huntsman took pity on her. Run away, you poor child. She thought, he thought, the wild animals will devour her soon anyway, which is a lot like Paris, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. The fall of the kingdom. Except Snow White doesn't cause a huge war that we know of. That we know of. Maybe she did. It's very possible. Um. So she's running through the forest and she's so afraid and, she, you know, trees have faces and ah! just kidding. Um, she began to run and run and run until she found a small house on the edge of a valley. And inside the house, everything was small, but it was neat and clean and no one could say otherwise. There was a little table with a white tablecloth and seven little plates, and each plate had a spoon with seven knives and seven forks and seven mugs. Against the wall, there were seven little beds standing in a row covered with snow-white sheets. Snow White was so hungry and so tired, she ate the food from every every plate (laughs) and then found one of the beds and snuggled right in Mm -hmm. and got comfortable. After dark, the masters of the home appeared. There were seven dwarves who picked and dug for ore in the mountains. Each of them noticed that their house has been disheveled. Who's been eating my vegetables? Who's been eating my bread? Who used my mug? What's going on here? Who's in my bed? So they're all freaking out. They're like, "What? what who are you? What's happening? Um, and then they look in the bed and they notice Snow White sleeping. And they actually notice that she's so beautiful and she's just tired. And so they actually let her sleep all night. They don't bother her. Oh. Um, And the next morning she wakes up and she is so grateful that they just let her stay the night. And she asks them, like, please, my my mother is trying to kill me and I have nowhere else to go. And they immediately took pity on her and were like, you can stay here and you can help us. Help us by cooking and cleaning and maintaining our house while we're mining all day. And then you can just be safe out here with us. Mm-hmm. And she did all that. She had a great time and loved taking care of the house. However, the evil queen had a magic mirror. <laughs> I was no. like, how did she know? How did she know? She knows. She knows. Mirror, mirror on the wall. 
who in the land is fairest of all? It answered, You, my queen, are fair, it is true, but Snow White beyond the mountains with the seven dwarves is still a thousand times fairer than you. Like, send her a map quest printout for fuck's sake. God. Fucking mirror. Exactly in this location, she is much fairer than you are. It startled the queen because she knew that the mirror would not lie, and she realized that the huntsman had deceived her. I also missed this part. He cut up a boar and put him, put the pieces that were required. Yeah. Um, and she knew that Snow White was still alive. Um, she thought of something. So she disguised herself as a peddler woman so no one would recognize her and went to the seven dwarves' house. And she said, beautiful wares for sale. Snow White peered out the window. Good day, dear woman. What do you have for sale? Good wares, beautiful wares, bodices, laces, and all colors. And she took them out. Um, she took out one that was braided from a colorful silk. Would you like one? And Snow White said, I can let an honest woman in. Of course. And she bought a, a bodice and she put the bodice on her and she said, let me lace you up properly. Um and so as she's lacing her up, Snow White's starting to notice that she's doing it too tight and she can't breathe. Um, and the, the old woman, the evil queen, says, you used to be the most beautiful one and hurried away. <gasps> yeah. Not long after that, in the evening, the seven dwarves came home and they find Snow White passed out on the front porch. And they're freaking out, panicking. They go to her and they start to unlace her stays and they're like, what's going on? And she takes a deep breath and they're like, what happened? And they were, she was like, there was an old woman and it must have been my my evil mother. And they're like, it had to have been the queen. Nobody else wants you dead. You cannot open the door for anybody. Don't mm -hmm. let anybody in. Don't talk to strangers. Don't do Stranger this. Stranger danger. And she said, I understand. I didn't think she would find me here, but okay. And the queen gets home. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is Who in the land is fairest of them all? You, my queen, are fair, it's true. But Snow White beyond the mountains with the seven dwarves is still a thousand times fairer than you. She heard that and her blood ran to her heart because she knew that Snow White had come back to life. This time, I'll think of something that will destroy you. Jesus. <laughs> so, being um, <laughs> with the art of witchcraft, she then created a comb for her hair that she poisoned. And so, she then disguised herself again, went across the mountains, found the Seven Doors house, and said, good wares for sale. And Snow White looked out. Pretend you're not home. She looked out and she said, I'm not allowed to let anybody in. Surely you may take a look, said the old woman, pulling out the poison comb, comb and holding it up to the child. And the child liked it so much that she let herself be deceived and opened the door. <sighs> After they agreed upon the purchase, now let me put the comb in your hair properly. And she stuck the comb into her hair and it poked her in the head and the girl fell down unconscious. Fortunately, it was almost evening and the old woman fled. Almost evening, seven dwarves come home. They find her lying on the ground dead. 
and they can't believe it. They warned her that her stepmother was going to get her. Please don't. So they start to examine her because the, the lace bodice, they just need to untie it. So maybe there was something they could do. So they found the poison, poison comb and pulled it from her head. And she immediately sits up and she is fine and tells them what happened. And then the evil queen. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who in the land is fairest of all? You, my queen, are fair, it's true. But Snow White beyond the mountains with the seven dwarfs is still the fair, a thousand times fairer than you. The queen heard the mirror saying this, and she trembled with anger. Snow White shall die if it (gasps) costs me my life. And then she went to her most secret room because I don't know where her other poison <laughs> witchcraft was, but this one's more secret. And she made a poisoned apple. And it was beautiful on the ed- on the outside. It was red and gorgeous. And then um, when you sliced it, it was the fairest, white, crispiest apple anybody had ever seen. And so she traveled back across the mountains, back to Seven Dwarfs Cottage, and she knocked on the door. She wasn't even trying to be cool this time. Snow White snuck her head out the window and said, I'm not allowed to anyone let me in. The dwarves have forbidden me to do so. That's all right with me, answered the peasant woman. I'm, I'll easily get rid of my apples. Here, I'll give you one of them. No, Snow White said, I cannot accept anything. Are you afraid of poison? Asked the old woman. Look, I'll cut the apple in two. You eat the red half and I shall eat the white half. Now, the apple had been so artfully made that only the red half was poisoned. Snow White longed for the beautiful apple. And when she saw that the peasant woman was eating her part of it, she could no longer resist. And she stuck her hand out and took the poisoned half. And she barely had a bite in her mouth when she fell to the ground dead. The queen looked at her with gruesome stare, laughed loudly, and said, Snow White, red as blood, black as ebony wood, this time the dwarves cannot awaken you. Back at home, she asked the mirror, mirror, mirror on the wall, who in the land is fairest of them all? You, my queen, are fairest of all. (sighs) Then her envious heart was at rest. The dwarves came home and found Snow White laying on the ground, and she's not breathing at all. She's dead. And they checked her over and over. They did everything they could. They combed her hair, washed her with water and wine, but nothing helped. And she was dead and she remained dead. So they laid her on a briar and they all sat there and they cried for three days. And they said that they couldn't bury her. She was too beautiful to be buried. She needed to be on display so everybody could come visit her and see her for all time. So they built a glass coffin so she could be viewed. And they laid her with golden letters. It said um, Snow White. And then it had an inscription that she was the princess. Um, They put the coffin outside the mountain in one day. um, And then one of them would stay and watch over it at all times. She laid there in a a long time and did not decay, but it looked like she was in sleep. Um, For she was still as white as snow and as red as blood and her hair was as black as ebony. It came to pass one day that a prince entered the woods and noticed this beautiful coffin and this beautiful, hopefully, woman sleep, sleeping or mm-hmm. dead. And he went to the dwarves and said, please, let me 
bring her to the kingdom. And so she can be viewed by all. She's, you know, she should be cherished and nobody can see her here. The dwarves reluctantly decided after a long discussion with the prince, okay, she should be with people and people should be able to see her beauty and bring her, like, carry on her memory. Mm -hmm. So they are moving her casket and she accidentally falls out. Like, I don't know who did that. but (laughs) um, She falls out and she rolls from her coffin and the apple piece is dislodged from her throat and she wakes up. What? Yes. And the prince is so relieved and so in love instantly, you know. He's like, you must come live with me and you must be my wife. And Snow White says yes. Okay. I guess. Because <laughs> that was enough. Of course. Then. He's I'm a beautiful. prince. Sure. Um, and so they all go back to his kingdom and they have a huge wedding and they invite the evil queen. Oh, step back. Snow White's godless stepmother, who was also invited to the feast, after putting on beautiful clothes, stepped before the mirror and said, Mirror, mirror on the wall, who in the land is fairest of them all? You, my queen, are fair, it is true, but the young queen is a thousand times fairer than you. (sighs) So she uttered a curse and she was frightened. And now she's like, oh my God, Snow White's a queen. Like, I have to go to this wedding celebration and answer to her. What? So she actually gets to the wedding and they put her feet into shoes with hot iron coals and she's forced to dance until she's dead. I don't know what the bigger crime here is. Sky marrying a (laughs) seven-year-old. 25. 25. A grown-up, well-rounded 25-year-old. Yes. At first sight or the evil queen. But yeah, those are my apple tales for you today. Perfect. Love it. So last place we left, Shibalonke and Hunapu. Because we're back to that. Back to that. Probably another couple episodes because it's a lot longer than I thought it was. And I haven't found any place that tells, like, the whole story. Really? Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of parts of the story, but there's parts of it that are missing, too, on, like, the YouTube videos that I watched and stuff. I mean, there might be one that I just found that they tell the whole story. So we're just going to keep going. I love it. Yeah. So... Uh, the last place we left the hero twins, Hunapu and Shibalanke, they had defeated Seven Macaw and his two sons, Apocrita and Capricorn. Mm-hmm. Um, also, in this part, there are some kind of dark and gross uh, descriptions. A little bit. Uh, detached body parts. Uh, woohoo! Demons. So, heads up. Let's go. Yeah. All right, so the hero twin's father is also a twin, and his name is One Hunapu, and his twin brother is Seven Hunapu. And the reason that they have names, that they have names, they have numbers in their there names, we go. is because they're associated with the Maya calendar, and Hunapu is a day dedicated to the memory of ancestors. Got it, okay. 
So one Hunapu is married to a woman named Shibakwai Yalo. Okay. Which translates to Lady Bone Water or Egret Woman. So we're going to go with Egret Woman. Okay. Uh, and uh, But at the time that all of this happens, their mother has actually passed away. And the only woman in the house is Shmukane. Okay. Um, Seven Hunapu is not married. He is described as one Hunapu's companion in the Popovu. It uses the word as servant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one Hunapu and Egret woman have twin sons named one Bats, which means howler monkey in Kiche, and okay. one Chuin, which means monkey as well as artisan. So we're going to go with one monkey and one, ar- one artisan so that we don't confuse the fuck out of everybody. Okay. <laughs> Me included. Yeah. Uh, so one and seven Hunapu are both really knowledgeable. They are seers, um, and seeing their father and uncle in- excel at what they do and what they're good at, one monkey and one artisan become flutists and singers, writers and sculptors, jade workers, and precious metalsmiths. And they also excel at anything they do. Everything they do comes really easy to them. It's natural. Mm-hmm. Um, so one day. Not one day, every day. One and seven Hunapu would pair off opposite one monkey and one artisan, and they would play dice and ball games. Mm-hmm. So I got really curious about what the Maya ball game actually was, mm-hmm. and I found some interesting stuff. So experts think that all of the cultures in the region played ball, and it goes back, I think, more than 3,500 years, making it one of the first organized games in the history of sports. Wow. Yeah. Is it just called ball? I think they just call it, I think it's just called a ball game. Okay. Yeah. Um, sometimes it was played just as a game with lots of gambling and betting. Like, you know how we bet on horse races or mm-hmm. the Super Bowl or whatever. Um, but sometimes they were also used as spectacles and as rituals where the city rulers would actually play against the captive warriors. And the whole entire game was rigged. And the captives would purposely lose the game, and then they'd be sacrificed. <gasps> yeah. Whoa. Uh, many, but not all, Mayan cities had ball courts. Um, and it, I'd seen a thing that says that um, the more ball courts you had, like, the wealthier your city was. Mm-hmm. Um, there are more than 1,300 ball courts scattered throughout Mesoamerica. And they're wow. all yeah, they're all kind of shaped the same. So they have a long, narrow playing field and they have two sloping walls and they would bounce the ball off of these walls to try to get the ball into this either two stones in between two stones or a stone that had a hole in it that was big enough for these balls to go through. Yeah. It's so like a mix of soccer and kind of basketball, but you can't use your hands. Yeah. You can only use your torso and your legs. Everybody who's seen Rodel Dorado knows exactly what what you're talking about. about. Apparently, I need to watch. Yes. Okay. Uh, They don't know the exact rules of the game. Um, And in Guatemala, where the Quiche people reside, there are more than 500 ball courts alone. Wow. Okay. All right. So back to the story. So where one Hunapu and one in seven Hunapu and one monkey and one artisan like to play ball is near the path that leads to Shibulba, which is the place of fear. Yeah. Or the underworld. Yeah. Yeah. Again. And it's 
It's I rules. know this because of, of <laughs> <laughs> excellent. Am I saying all right? Yeah, yeah, excellent. Yay! I'm gonna watch this movie tomorrow, or yeah, probably tomorrow. Um, and it's ruled by the lords of death and disease. So one day, the lords of Shabolba, one death and seven death, they hear the ball game going on up above, and it's so loud. And they're mm. like, what is happening up there? They're just stomping around, so rude. Go and summon them and tell them we're going to play ball against them and defeat them. They have simply failed to honor us. They have neither honor or respect. Whoa. Yeah. So one death and seven death call all their lower lords of the underworld to a meeting. <laughs> Those in attendance are as follows. We have flying scab, <laughs> which is just what it sounds like. And Gathered Blood, who is still known by Kiche story storytellers as a cruel lord of the underworld who gathers blood that pools on the ground as a result of injury, illness, or violence. And this blood he gathers and is it's then served to his fellow lords at a banquet. So together, their task is to sicken people in their blood. Yeah, buckle up because we've got a couple more gross ones to go through. Oh, yeah. Blood. And we have mm -hmm. Pass Demon. Stop. <laughs> and John Demon, which you can imagine what they do. <laughs> I laugh when I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. <laughs> we have Lord Bonestaff and Skullstaff, and they are just the staff bearers of Shibulba. Um, and they are they would skele skeletal skele skeletize skeletized people until they were just bones and skulls so i think this is referring to starvation oh yeah makes yeah sense. next up is sweeping demon and stabbing demon and their task was to overtake people if they abandoned sweeping their front and back porches and if they left trash around their house so oh. these people would be overtaken and stabbed by sweeping and stabbing demon until they fall face down upon the earth and die so, don't forget to sweep your front steps and don't litter. Yeah, no kidding. We take have, care of your brownie. Take care of your brownie. <laughs> we have Lord Wing and Pack Strap, which I didn't know what a pack strap was. If you're carrying a large load, they would have a strap that would go over their forehead and it would mm -hmm. attach to the basket on their back that would help them carry this really large, heavy load. Got it. So these people would die in a pretty gruesome way that I'm not even going to get into. <gasps> Come yeah. on. A little. They would start vomiting blood. Oh. And they would die. Yeah. Lovely. Yep. All right. So these are the lords of the underworld. Ruled over by one death and seven death. So they decide they want one and seven Hunapu's gaming gear. Their leather, their headdresses, their face masks. Because it's the finest. Right. And they want all of it. So the Lords of Chibulba send for their messengers, which are owls, and their names are also great. There's Arrow Owl, One-Leg Owl, Macaw Owl, who has a red back, and Skull Owl, who looks like an owl, but he just has a skull instead of a regular head, and he doesn't have any legs. Okay. So they instruct the owls to tell one in seven Hunapu the following message. They must come. They must come here to play ball with us that we may be invigorated by them. Truly, we are amazed by them. So they've got to come. 
Also, tell them to bring their gaming gear and their rubber ball. To this day, owls are still considered heralds of sickness and death by the Quiche people, and they are very unwelcome anywhere in your homes. Wow, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's so cool. I mean, not cool, but it's like... It's interesting, yeah, that all this stuff is still perpetuated and, alive. and yeah. told and the stories mm-hmm. are... Yeah. Yeah. So the twin sets are playing ball up on the surface at a place called honor and respect. And the owls arrive perching on top of the ball court and they repeat the words given by the Lords of Shabulba. So one in seven Hunapu agree. We'll go, but we have to go home first. We have to take our sons home and we have to leave instructions with our mother. So they go home and they tell Shmukane about the summons they've received and they leave their rubber ball and all their gear and they hide it and they tie it up with ropes in the rafters of the house. Shmukane is really sad, but one seven Hunapu tell her, we must go, but we will not die. Do not grieve. And they leave to go to Shibulba. Okay. They meet up with the owls and they are making their way down to the underworld. And they go through these steep canyons. They go through Trembling and Murmuring Canyon. And they come to this place called Scorpion River, which okay. is literally a river of scorpions. Ew. But they pass through. They don't get stung. It's fine. They also pass through Blood River and Pus River. Oh. <laughs> then they come to a crossroads, which for the Maya, crossroads are considered extremely dangerous because they're focal points for the unseen powers of all direction. And there's a man named Jimenez that he he wrote that the ancient Kiche ceremonially would collect all of the sins in their community and they would take them and abandon them at a crossroads. Oh, so at this crossroads, they are first defeated or tricked. So there's a red road, which is associated with east, yellow, which is south, white, which is north and black, which is west. And the black road calls out to them. Me, take me. I'm I'm the Lord's road. So they head down this path and it's kind of a premonition of what happens to them since the path is this is the path that the sun takes as it sinks into the underworld. So it's kind of like foreshadowing. Yeah. yeah. So they arrive at the council place of the Lords of Shibulba and seated before them are these effigies of wood, but the twins don't realize that they're carved wood and they greet these effigies and they're like, good morning, one death, good morning, seven death. And around them, the Lords of Shibulba just start laughing and in their hearts, they already know that they've defeated one in seven Hunapu because they greeted these effigies thinking that they were the lords of the underworld and they've made right. a fool of themselves. I wrote, they must not get out much. <laughs> <laughs> so after their good long laugh, one in seven death tell them, it's good that you've come tomorrow. You shall put on your yokes and your arm protectors, but for now, sit down on our bench. The bench is nothing more than a very hot stone which burns their butts. And oh. the Shibalbans think that this is just the funniest thing. And they laugh until their sides hurts and their chests become cramped from their laughing and they're just rolling around laughing. After they get their shit together <laughs> and they compose themselves, they tell one and seven Hunapu to go to the house of darkness and someone is going to bring them a torch and cigars. After the twins leave, the Shibulbans are talking about the next day and they say, tomorrow we'll just sacrifice them. They have only to make one mistake 
and straight away they'll die by the means of our gaming things that we used to play ball. So instead of a rubber ball, they use this ball named White Dagger. Oh. And it's a rubber ball, but sticking out of it are pieces of shattered bone. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. It's terrible. So one in seven Hunapu have entered the House of Darkness. And eventually someone does come with torches and cigars and the courier tells them these are to be returned at the morning. You can't use them up. Not knowing what else to do. The torch and the cigar already being lit. They're well unscrewed. Right. So Shabolpa is actually a place of trials and trickery. And the first one is where they're at. It's nothing but darkness. The second place is a place called Shivering House and it's freezing. The third place is called Jaguar House, and it's chock full of jaguars. Mm -hmm. And the fourth fourth place is called Bat House, which there's nothing inside but bats. And I don't think that even you would like this place because they're like murder bats. Okay. It's bad. They're, they're, they're not, not good cute. bats. No. All right. No. The fifth place is called Blade House. It's full of blades. So the morning arrives and the twins come out. And one in seven death asks them, where are cigars and the torches that we gave you? And the twins reply, we use them. Very well. Your day is at an end. You are to die. Here your faces shall be hidden for you are to be sacrificed. So they're sacrificed. And they're <gasps> buried at a place called Crushing Ball Court. The head of one Hunapu is cut off and the rest of his body is buried with his younger brother. <gasps> they take his head and they put it into a tree. And soon after his head is put into the tree, it bears fruit. And this is the calabash tree. And the calabash tree actually yields a large gourd with a really hard rind that is sometimes dried to make bowls. And when it's dried, it turns like this whitish color and it looks it's looks like kind of like a skull and it's roughly the size of a human skull. <gasps> yeah. Ugh. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So one Hunapu's head is in this tree and they can't tell now which one is his head and which one is a gourd. They all look the same. So everyone in Shabulba comes and they all agree that this is a marvel. But they decide that no one can cut the fruit, no one can eat it, and no one can go beneath the tree. One of the lords, Gathered Blood, has a young daughter. And his her name is Lady Blood. And her oh. father tells oh, her, yes. <laughs> sweet Lady Blood. <laughs> after her father tells her about this tree she decides that she wants to see it for herself but he tells her it's off limits you can't go there but she's heard that the fruit from this tree is really delicious so one day she sneaks out and she goes to crushing ball court to the calabash tree and she's standing beneath the tree and she said what is the fruit of this tree is not the fruit tree is not the fruit born by this tree delicious i would not die i would not be lost would it be heard if I were to pick one? And the skull of one Hunapu from deep in the tree responds, What is that you desire of this? Is it merely a skull? A round thing placed in the branches of trees? You do not desire it. And Lady Blood responds, But I do desire it. Very well. Stretch out your right hand so that I can see it. She stretches out her right hand before the skull, and it spits in her hand. She looks at her hand thinking, Rude. There's nothing there. <laughs> And the skull of one Hunapu says to her, my saliva, my spittle is merely a sign that I have given to you. 
This head of mine no longer functions, for it is merely a skull that cannot work. The head of a truly great lord has good flesh upon his face, but when he dies, the people become frightened because of his bones. In like manner, his son is like his saliva, his spittle. He is his essence. If his son becomes a lord, lord or a sage or a master of speech, then nothing will have been lost. He will go on and once more become complete. The face of the Lord will not be extinguished, nor will it be ruined. The warrior, the sage, the master of speech will remain in the form of his daughters and, and his sons. Thus may it be so, as I have done to you. Climb, therefore, up to the face of the earth. You will not die, for you have entered into a promise. So she returns home after receiving a bunch more instructions on what she's supposed to do. And she returns home pregnant with Hunabu and Shibalanke, our hero twins. <gasps> yeah. So Wait, it kind what? from from his spit in her hand. <gasps> so it's kind of like Eve, right? Yeah, she eats the forbidden fruit, but it's also like Mary because she's a virgin. And she gets pregnant. <gasps> crazy! It's crazy. Whoa! Yeah, I know. I was totally drawing those parallels. That whole yeah, yeah it's wild. Anyway, okay. So back to the story. Cycle back to the story. Birth death and rebirth is one of the most prominent motifs in ancient Mesoamerica art and literature. So they would see death as a necessary part of life for maize to grow and produce a seed has to first be buried in the earth has to die. Then it sprouts a new plant. Mm -hmm. um, it was thus necessary for one Hunapu to descend into the underworld to die before a new generation could appear and be capable of overcoming death. Mm -hmm. The maiden lady blood stood as an intermediary as the daughter of one of the principal lords of death, she belongs to the darkness of the underworld. As the consort of one Hunapu, she had the potential to create new life from death. Blood for the Maya is also the most pre precious substance because it bears within itself the spirit or essence of the ancestors and by extension of the gods from whom they are descended. So the mother of Hunapu and Shibalanke being Lady Blood is all very symbolic. Right. Yeah. But also like how scientific. Right? Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> like, yeah, your blood is your ancestry. Like, yeah. yeah. What the yeah. fuck? That is so cool. Yeah. Okay. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So six months go by and she does an excellent job at hiding from her father that she's pregnant. She can't hide it forever. And one day her father finds out secret all the lords of shabol would get together regarding lady blood's pregnancy and gathered blood says my daughter is with child it is merely a result of her fornication <gasps> the Rude. lords i know the lords tell gathered blood to question her about this and when she doesn't tell she's going to be sent far away and they'll sacrifice her gathered blood agrees and he goes to Lady Blood and he says to her, who is responsible for the child that is in your womb? And she says, I have no child, my father. I have not known the face of any man, which is the polite way to say I haven't had sex with them. Because the mm -hmm. Maya, I guess, were kind of prudish. They didn't talk about sex or hmm. anything. All right. Um, but it's also a literal. It's literal because she didn't see the living face of one Hunapu. She just saw a skull. Right. So... He says, very well. It's true that you are a fornicator. Four scary owls show up and they're told to bring her heart back inside of a bowl so that the lords might examine it. 
What? And I wrote, perhaps this is where the writer of Snow White gets the idea to bring her heart back in a box. Seriously. They're like. Very parallel. So many different stories. There's like so much happening with yeah. what I talked about and what you talked about. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Many a parallel. I swear to God, if you bring up the Pallades, I might fall out of my chair. <laughs> <laughs> don't think so no we already discussed it with the mind yeah. so we know i was that. just trying to think if there's a part another part in the story and i think there is at the very end Ooh. so the four owls leave with bull and maiden in their talons and they took the scary ball white dagger and that's how they're going to sacrifice her so lady blood tells the owls you will not succeed in killing me for this is not for this for this <laughs> try that again you will not succeed in killing me, for this that is in my womb was merely created and is not the result of fornication. Do not sacrifice me. Yeah, let's consider, and they respond, but what would you give us as a substitute for your heart? You were told to bring your heart back, and we don't want you to die. Oh. So she, she thinks about it, and she says, use a tree sap from the croton tree. Burn it in front of them. Put the sap in a bowl, and it'll congeal, and it looks like a heart. And they tell her, this is a good plan. Solid plan. Love it. We, we're we're right here. We're going to go back. And we'll give them your sap heart and mm -hmm. show them that we've killed you. So they go back and the lords are waiting to hear about how the sacrifice goes. And they put the bowl over the fireplace and they're all like salivating over the smell of her blood cooking. Ew. And while they're preoccupied with the blood... The owls go back to Lady Blood and they take her to the surface and they return before anybody realizes that they're gone. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Lady Blood has been given directions from one Hunapu to go to his mother's house. And when she arrives, she says to Shmukani, Hi, I'm your daughter in law. Shmukani doesn't believe her and basically tells her to get lost. Lady Blood tries to tell her that she's carrying one Hunapu's babies, but Shmukani says, I do not want you. You are not my daughter in law. You are a deceiver. But if it is as you say, and you are my daughter-in-law, go harvest a net full of maize and return with it. If you can do this, then you surely are telling the truth, and you are my daughter-in-law. So in Kiche society, it was actually customary for a new bride to be given really heavy tasks by her in-laws to prove mm -hmm. her ability to provide for a family. And in this case, she's given a great big net. And also in Maya theology... The net is, is a significant symbol for the divine order of the universe. So it's okay. a fixed pattern, and it represents the regularity of the seasons and the very fabric of time. And Maya goddesses are often depicted as weaving on this giant cosmic loom, which is really cool. Got it. Lady Blood leaves, goes to the maize field, and when she gets there, there is only a single ear of maize in the entire field. There's plants <sighs> all over but they've only produced a single ear and she has a little meltdown and she yells out, I am a sinner. I am a debtor. Where am I going to get a net full of food? Pulls herself together, straightens her crown, remembers who she is. Yeah. She calls upon the guardians of food. She reaches out and she takes a hold of the corn silk and she pulls on it and the maze multiplies until the basket is overflowing and she can go back. The nice. animals, the animals help her. 
was like freaking princess <laughs> right the animals help her carry the basket back but before she's inside of the house she shoulders the net herself and carries it the rest of the way shmukani is immediately suspicious and she says where did you get all this food you must have stolen it i'll go see if you have finished off the maize plant and brought it all here she stomps out to the field and finds the single ear of corn still in the stock. Shmukani rushes back home and says to Lady Blood, This is but a sign that you are truly my daughter-in-law and the babies you carry are enchanted already. And I can just imagine Lady Blood rolling her eyes at me like, I tried to tell you this. Right. <laughs> you old bat. Like, Why didn't you listen to me the first time? Yeah. All right. So. Lady Blood goes up into the mountains. She gives birth to Hunapu and Shibalanke, brings them back to the house, and their grandmother says, take them away and abandon them, for truly shrill are their mouths. Oh. Which is really interesting, because in in the translation, the guy's like, babies were a gift. Like, the, everybody, it took everybody to raise babies, and babies were, everybody loves babies. Right. Babies right. are cute. So it's odd that she's like, take them away and abandon them. Also, like the mother of all gods. Yeah, the grandmother. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, Just it's like kind of it's kind of weird that she uncaring. So I don't know. Yeah. But I don't know her. Yeah. So maybe it's not. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, but so one monkey and one artisan are still living in the house, and they take the babies and they put them mm. on an anthill. And then they take them and move them to a thorn bush. Because they're full of treachery and jealousy over Hunapu and Shibalanke, which is silly because they're extremely accomplished in their own right. Okay. Hunapu and Shibalanke grew up in the mountains and they would go out every day hunting with their blowguns. And it says their grandmother didn't love them and neither neither did their elder brothers. And I don't know where I don't know where Lady Blood is. I don't know if she's still in the mountains or if she's just quietly living there. I'm not sure. Okay. I think I think she's living with Shmukani, but uh. anyway, Hunapu and Shibalanke would usually bring back birds that they'd shoot for dinner. And one day they didn't bring anything back, and Shmukani becomes enraged and she's shouting at them, What is the reason that you have not brought any birds home? And the twins reply, This is why. The birds are stuck up in top of a tree, and there is no way to climb to the top of the tree and reach them. We need our older brothers to come and help us bring down these birds. Mm-hmm. So the brothers are listening and they agree and they decide that they'll leave at dawn. So dawn comes and they all go out to this tree whose name is Yellow Tree. And when they arrive, they the boys start shooting their blowguns. There's hundreds of trees, hundreds of trees. There's hundreds of birds up in the top of this tree and they don't mm -hmm. hit one. So Hunapu and Shibalanke tell their elder brothers to go up in the tree and bring them down. So they climb to the top of the tree. And when they get up to the top, the tree just starts to grow higher and higher and higher and when they <gasps> want to come back down they can't and they call down to hunapu and shibalanke take pity on us this tree is truly frightening hunapu and shibalanke call back loosen your loincloths and retie the long end below your bellies pull the tail end out behind you then you'll be able to walk freely the elder Wait. brothers so take your loincloth off uh -huh. tie it down in the front but take the tail in between your legs like a tail mm -hmm. and you're gonna be able to walk okay yep so they do this and they immediately turn into tails and they turn into spider monkeys <gasps> yeah and this was how one monkey and one artisan were defeated by the hands of Hunapu and Shibalanke <sighs> 
The twins go home and they say to their grandmother, something happened to our older brother. Their faces have changed and they walk around like animals now. They tell their grandmother that she will see her grandsons again, but she can't laugh when she sees them because it's a test for their fates. And they're going to play their flutes, that classic song, Hunapu Spider Monkey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So while they're playing Hunapu Spider Monkey, (laughs) in dances one monkey and one artisan who are really spider monkeys. And it says, when grandmother looked at them, she saw their ugly faces and laughed for she could not contain her laughter. And and one monkey and one artisan run off into the woods. Hunapu and Shibalanke look at her. They're like, we're going to try this four times total, but you can't laugh. So they try it again and they're playing the song and they're dancing around the house and she what can't. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. Got to get through this. I know. Sorry. Sorry. I'm done. So, they, so they're trying again to Hunapu Spider Monkey and they're dancing around the house and immediately she starts laughing <laughs> and they run away. No. So they play their flutes again. This time she's able to contain her laughter. But they come in and they're scampering on the walls. Their their mouths were very red and their faces were foolish. Their mouths were puckered and bushy. Their faces were silly and they snorted at them. Grandmother can't help it. She bursts out laughing. This time they leave and they don't come back. Gunapu and Shibalanke play the flute one last time, but the brothers don't return. Um, so some time goes by and the boys decide that they're going to work the maize field that their older brothers did, but they're going to take over. So okay. they take their axes and their hoes. <laughs> 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 You're just making me laugh. <laughs> This is why I can't drink before I record. Because everything's hilarious. Oh my god. Uh, Alright. So they take their axes and their blowguns. Okay. And they they ask their grandmother to bring them their lunch at noon out in the field. So okay. they get to the fields and they enchant the... <laughs> they enchant who? The axe. And the hoe to do the chopping. (laughs) (laughs) It's not even funny. (laughs) So they enchant their tools (laughs) to do the the work for them. Yeah. And they tell the turtle dove to alert them when their grandmother comes back. And they go off hunting with their blowguns. Mm-hmm. And so Turtle Dove cries out and they run back and they rub dirt all over their faces and they put wood chips in their hair and they act like they've been working really hard. The next day they come back and they find that the trees and the bushes have all grown back. In mm. a single night, the animals have brought the forest back. <laughs> 
Um, so they begin to farm the land again, and they decide that that night they'll just stay and they'll watch over the field and they'll catch whoever is playing this trick on them. Okay. So that night, all the animals come together and they say, arise, trees, arise, bushes. And the first animal that Hootenpoo and Shibalanke went after are the puma and the jaguar, but they would not give themselves up. Next, they went after the deer and the rabbit, grabbing them by the tails. But they broke off. And to this day, deer and rabbits have very short tails. Cool. They can't catch the fox, the coyote, or the peccary, or the cody. Coming up behind them is a rat. And they catch him in a net. It's not real great what they do to this rat. Um, quote, they strangle him and burn his tail over a fire. And because oh, no. of this, the tail of the rat still does not have any hair on them. And their oh. eyes look the way they do because the boys strangled him. Oh. Yeah. A rat tells them he has a secret. And if they'll give him a bit of food, he'll tell them. So the boys tell him they'll give him food later. And to tell them right now <laughs> what the secret is. And the rat tells them that one in seven Hunapu's gaming gear is hanging in the loft. <gasps> the boys are so excited about this that they give the rat squash seeds, chili peppers, beans, and chocolate. Chocolate? Cacao. Love so it. they take the rat home and they tell him that he's going to go up where the rubber ball and gaming stuff is. And they'll be able to see where the rat is in the rafters reflected in their chili sauce that they're going to ask their grandmother to make. So they ask their mother for a bite to eat. And it's a bowl of chili sauce. And they tell her grandmother that they're so thirsty. And when she please get them a drink of water, she gets up and leaves. They can see the gaming gear. And so they send a mosquito after their grandmother to pierce the front of the water jug. So she has to stop because the water keeps leaking out. And she can't bring any water back to the house. So then they ask their mother, why is grandmother taking so long? We're so thirsty. Can you go see if she needs help? So she leaves. And the rat's free to chew through the ropes and the gaming gear falls and they're able to gather it up and hide it outside so their mother and grandmother don't know what they're up to. Uh -huh. So they're so excited about finding their father and uncle's ball equipment that they spend the day cleaning up the court honor and respect and they start playing ball. And who should hear them? The Lords of Shibulba. <gasps> and I will tell you what happens next time. Oh, no. But I know. I know. It's That's a so bit good. Longer. No, I love it. I'm so intrigued by this story. Okay. Yeah. We have just a little bit more, but we'll we'll finish it up next time. Woohoo! Yeah. Part four. Woohoo! Oh my gosh. Part four. <laughs> no, but um, I like that you're doing the whole thing. Yeah, and getting some details and stuff. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Thanks, guys, for being here this week. We love that you were here. We love that you're here every week. We are so happy. Um, but yeah, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Um, follow and share our content and let us know what you think of this week's episode. If you did hear something that you have some more information on, send us an email at morethanmythspodcast at gmail.com. Also, you can follow and subscribe. We are all over the place. Probably wherever you get your podcasts we're also probably there so if you have a minute and you can just follow and subscribe or give us a rating or even if you have two minutes it could leave us a review that would be amazing amazing if you are able to contribute to our support link and that means anything from as low to a dollar and up 
whatever you're able to do. It will help us produce merch and produce a show because we do this all on our own time and budget. Anyway, remember, if you love us, tell your friends, tell your family, and tell your sibling. Tell your sibling. Until next time, stay curious. Bye. Bye.